On May 2nd, Politico published a leaked draft opinion authored by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, appearing to be the majority opinion for the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. That case deals with the constitutionality of a 2018 Mississippi state law that banned abortion operations after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. If the ruling stands, it would effectively overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which would allow U.S. states to determine the legality of abortions for themselves. Analysts predict that abortion would immediately be banned in 23 U.S. states and territories if this happens. Meanwhile, the debate surrounding abortion seems to have been re-sparked. The issue for many has less to do with the life of unborn children and has more to do with concepts of women's rights or reproductive choice. In fact, the very issue of abortion itself has been so reframed that honest, productive, logical dialogue about the issue itself becomes almost impossible. To oppose abortion is to be anti-woman, or even pro-rape. But if we just stripped away all the controversy, vitriol, and red herring arguments, logically speaking, what are the ethics of terminating a pregnancy? Is an unborn fetus a human being? Why are so many Christians against abortion? And why are so many other folks for it? Just a word of warning to our listeners, today's episode contains some very graphic descriptions of actual abortion procedures and just some very frank conversations about a very sensitive topic. If these things are upsetting to you, you might want to sit this one out. So let's talk. What might life look like in a post-Roe v. Wade nation? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bible, beards, everything in between. Gabe, what's crack a lacking? Is there much in between beards and Bible? I don't think so. I mean, like I when I so. sit down and read my Bible, it's just like nothing in between my beard and my Bible. <laughs> I think your beard's a little bit longer than mine. There might be some beard dandruff. Yeah. Can I just make a confession to everyone who's listening simply because you like the concept of beards? I don't really wear my beard that long. I can't. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Two reasons. Number one, my beard is like turning grayer and grayer by the day. I kind of look like Kenny Rogers in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And number two, um, it just gets itchy and stinky. Yeah. I can't do it. I just keep it trimmed back. I feel like it's just, it's just becoming an old man. It's just you get itchy and stinky. <laughs> <laughs> just in general just in general <laughs> yeah the it's older you life. get the the itchier and stinkier you it's kind itchy, of like a, stinky and gassy a memoir kind of like a dog you know just like a stinky old dog yeah that's, that's true what, that's what in case you're wondering what it's like if you're like getting what is it like to, and stinkier. to pass the age of 35 well mm-hmm. itchy stinky sore gassy yeah. so what's new with you gabe Oh, not a whole lot. Did you have a good Mother's Day? Well, yeah. did Jenny have a good Mother's Day? I think so. You're like, know, yeah, my Mother's Day was great. My Mother's Day was great, yeah. No, I think she had a good Mother's Day. I hope she did. Okay. Uh, I'm, so it's funny. I told the kids we were at a uh, conference, 
and we got back Saturday night and um, I wasn't preaching on Sunday. Uh, Pastor Mike was preaching for me. So I woke the kids up. Or I told them Saturday night before going to bed, hey guys, we're going to make breakfast for mom in the morning. So before church, I'm going to come upstairs. I'm going to get you guys and we'll make breakfast. And uh, at like 5.30, 5.40, my daughter, Grace, who's four, stood right beside my bed and said, Daddy, it's time to get up and make breakfast for Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I was up at that point. So, we had an early Mother's Day morning breakfast. So, only, so only like spilled some... the egg, egg yolks once as they were nice. fighting over who gets to uh, whisk the egg yolks. So, that's awesome. It's good, though. Yeah, how about like you guys? Completely switch gears and just start calling it Valentine's Day and celebrate it as such. I did. I Absolutely. Yeah. And I expected Jenny to get me a gift, and yeah. I don't know why she didn't. Uh, how about yeah, you? Ours was good. We um, had some friends who rented a pontoon boat down in Panama City Beach and, Thanks, and graciously invited us to go out with them. And we saw several wow. dolphins and spent the day on the beach and on the water. And well, I can't top yeah, that. It was really nice. And we went to um, this restaurant down there that has, uh, it's like a mermaid theme restaurant. It's right on the water. Hmm. And it's really interesting. I've never been to one like this, but they had a swimming pool in the back of the restaurant. So while you're waiting for your food to come out, you can actually swim in the pool. And then the, the server comes and finds you and is like, hey, your food's ready. And then you could just like put a towel around you and go back to your table. And yeah, it's like outdoor wow. seating and stuff. So that was cool. The, cool. the only thing though is like, because it's mermaid theme, there's like uh -huh. all these um, like high school aged females that are posing as mermaids around the pool. So it's a little bit awkward. You're like, <laughs> you know, your, your kids are like swimming and they're like, it's just, there's just, a lot of a lot of potential for awkwardness going on there is that so. is that do they work there or is that just mm -hmm. oh okay yeah and they have like the whole like unifin like tail mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the seashell top and it's just were so, there any mermen no no and actually oh that's Stacey and i were talking about it how you know they they may have to open it up to men at some point here soon yeah. this tidal wave that's, of of wokeness and gender equality yeah, that's true maybe i'll apply i mean Maybe. I mean, why not? I just think of Zoolander where he's being made fun yeah. of for his ad and he's like, Derek, you're a mermaid. And he goes, merman, man. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. They used to have a uh, mermaid shows at Wiki, Wiki Watch yeah. Springs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We used to do that when we go down to Florida for vacation as a kid, go to Wiki Watch Springs. And I always thought the mermaid had the hots for me, but then mm -hmm. I realized she couldn't see past the little glass. <laughs> so she didn't have the hots for me. She just, she made that face to everyone as she was doing her mermaid show. So she she probably felt something through that glass, though. I think so. I felt a connection when I was yeah. nine watching was... the mermaid show at Wiki Wiki Springs. But yeah, and that your dad was like, "Well, at least he digs women." <laughs> well, half woman, I guess. Well, mermaids, at least. Yeah, mermaids. Yeah, he's into mermaids. It all started with the Little Mermaid in the late eighties. I had the biggest crush on. Ariel. Ariel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mm. seriously thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world. And then we went to Disney World. I think it was spring break 92, 91. And they mm. had the Little Mermaid little show or whatever. And she was singing. And like, I legit thought that she was real. Mm -hmm. And like, this was my chance, like, to, you know, mm. make a connection and, you know. And, and they uh, got arrested. 
<laughs> and then I got arrested as a as a seven year old boy. So anyway, yeah. well, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today at all. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Um. So if you are living under a rock, maybe you don't know this, but uh, there is a very, very, very important Supreme Court um, ruling, I guess, or opinion over a ruling that was leaked last week that um, has the potential to change a lot about um, abortion laws in the U.S. And uh, it's a pretty big deal. So pro-lifers, Christians, um, and then other groups like pro-choice groups and abortion advocates have really been paying attention to this because this is a big, this is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're going to walk through this today a little bit. So, so Gabe, what exactly happened that kind of sparked all this? Well, uh, yeah, Supreme Court deliberated, which is a very lengthy process, apparently, where they actually get around and they, they create an opinion. They, they, they write up an opinion and then um, they present it to the other justices. There's nine justices on the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the United States of America. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it's over sometimes, depending on how, how divisive the issue is, apparently it can take months and months for all the dissenting opinions to come in as well. And they all read those in front of each other and they deliberate and they seek other legal counsel from their clerks and their, their counselors. And then finally a vote is cast and, um, yeah, and, and decision is made based on the majority. And here, the majority, it seems to have sided with the fact that um, this uh, this law that, that popped up in Mississippi is constitutional, and it will, in effect, override a decision made by the court back in 1973, which is entitled Roe v. Wade, which is a very historic case, which basically mm-hmm. opened up the, the door for abortions to be legal in the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the case specifically that the Supreme Court is ruling on is called Dobbs versus Jackson Women Health Organization. And it's a um, case that deals with the constitutionality of a 2018 Mississippi state law that would ban abortion after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. So you're starting to see a lot more conservative states. Um, pass legislation that essentially would ban most abortions. And Roe v. Wade basically ensured that abortion would be legal in all U.S. states. So in the recent years, states have kind of challenged that by passing their own legislation to say, no, we're, we're going to make it pretty difficult for someone to, to get an abortion. And so <clears throat> this... 2018 law in the state of Mississippi, which is a very conservative state, kind of directly challenges Roe v. Wade. And it seems like the Supreme Court is going to say, well, yeah, that's okay. And Roe v. Wade actually is probably unconstitutional and needs to be overturned. So what that means is if Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion would most likely be banned in 23 U.S. states and territories, which is a huge deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's important we mention why those 23 states is because those 23 states have preemptively set in motion laws that say, when they call them trigger laws, that basically if 
the Supreme Court were to ever strike down the decision made back in 1973 in the case of Roe v. Wade, um, that we would then uh, outlaw abortions in our state as well. We will follow mm-hmm. suit and do that. And so they, yeah. they had these trigger laws on the book, some of them several years old, some of them a year old. Um, but, you know, it was a preemptive measure in anticipation the Supreme Court may do this in the future. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, for the past 50 years, I mean, that's, that's how long, you know, federal legislation has been in place to say that abortion is legal in the U.S., <clears throat> there have been pro-life advocates that have been working to try to figure out how to reverse it. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is a huge, huge, huge issue. Like the debate surrounding it um, is so heated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe and I were talking before we hopped on the podcast this morning about how um, you've seen protests in front of the Supreme Court building. You've seen protests in front of the Supreme Court justices' houses. You've seen people say they're going to like, um, you know, incite violence if they don't get their way. And if abortion is overturned, because that's apparently anti-woman, that's even, you know, pro-rape and pro-incest, which I just think is the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, and so, man, this is a really heated issue. And even just talking about it for some people um, just brings about a lot of anger and a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to have like a logical conversation about it, we've got to strip all that away and just ask the question, what are the ethics of terminating a pregnancy? And if you're a person of faith, like biblically speaking, like what does God's word say about this? Like, mm-hmm. let's just strip away all the politics, all the controversy, all of the vitriol, and let's just talk about it. And that's kind of what we want to do today. Yeah. You would think coming from a biblical worldview that it would be a no brainer. Sure. Uh, that that human innocent that it is it is never lawful to take an innocent human life. Right. Um, but apparently, this idea, you know, this Trojan horse of like, oh, this is women's reproductive rights, that has even uh, invaded the the body of Messiah and the church, to where there are a lot of believers who say, oh yeah, that that is that is okay, maybe up to a certain point, or just entirely, yeah, that's okay, that's part of a woman's rights. Right. But that that is. It is not a fully a human yet. And then we're, we're going to get into a little right. bit of that from, from stand to reason of how that we can completely just trash that argument. But yeah, Absolutely. it's really unfortunate. Well, and I think too, it's become such a, um, so we'll talk about just logic. And, and, and one of the things that um, if you study debate or you study rhetoric or you study logic, there's something called a red herring. Mm-hmm. And a red herring, when you're having a debate or you're having a argument with someone, a red herring is something that is brought up to detract from the main issue. Mm -hmm. So when we start having the abortion discussion, really the main issue is, is that unborn fetus a human being? Because Mm -hmm. if it is a human being, then that means to terminate that unborn fetus, that is murder. Mm -hmm. But the red herring is all these other fringe issues. Oh, Oh, you're saying it's okay for a woman who gets raped to carry a a baby and have birth to a baby that she didn't even ask for? Or are you saying that it's okay for women to go take coat hangers and go to a back alley and give themselves an abortion because you want to outlaw it? Like mm-hmm. those are, those are detractors from the main issue at hand. And the mm-hmm. main issue at hand is, is it ever morally justifiable to end the life of another human being? Mm-hmm. 
And if you say, well, no, well, then you have to say, well, then is that a human being, right? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, that's a human being, then issue's closed. Mm -hmm. It's never morally justifiable to end the life of another human being. So we have to like strip all that stuff away and get to the main and plain issue at hand in order to have this conversation logically. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So why don't we start with um, just kind of talking about Roe v. Wade. And we'll just go through, and some of this may, you may already know if you're involved in the pro-life movement. And some of this you may not know at all. Um, and my hope is, man, if you're on the fence on this, like, and I'll just I'll just talk. My generation, I think, has been very reticent to jump into the pro-life movement, mm -hmm. just by and large. Um, because I think we saw our parents' generation really heavily involved in this. And some of us may have gotten super weary in that because maybe we saw our parents way overboard with, um, not overboard. We saw our parents' generation get super, super plugged in and involved in this and then maybe not see it change as much. Mm -hmm. And so I think my generation has heard all of the um, critics saying, well, if you're really pro-life, then, um, you know, what about the death penalty? Or if you're really pro-life, then... Um, what are you doing with children in poverty? And so I think my generation has gotten really timid mm -hmm. with this. Does that make well, sense? I, yeah. And I would go so far as to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that our generation and generation Z are one of the more cowardly generations to ever come about yeah, 100%. Um, in the sense that we, uh, um, are scared to stand on absolute truth and principles yes. because we are afraid that it might offend someone by doing so by speaking out what we yeah. what we know it to be true uh we are afraid of offending someone that yeah. is that is called cowardice and uh yeah. unfortunately there's not a lot of room for that as a as a believer in the bible we're to be bold but we're to be lovingly bold on on tr on matters of 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 defense for the the unborn defense of the defenseless and yeah. um yeah there's just not a lot of a lot of concessions made for that if you're a believer in the bible yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's to our shame. Our generation mm -hmm. has been far more timid in these issues than we should be. Because mm -hmm. I think when we understand it um, from a biblical, biblical worldview, we understand this is the biggest human rights issue in our generation. This mm -hmm. is the slave trade, right? Yep. William yep. Wilberforce worked his whole life to overturn the slave trade. And uh, our generation's version of that is abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if we're not speaking out against it, we're not um, thinking of it biblically, uh, we're being cowards. Mm. And so I think that matters. So, uh, so let's talk about Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade was a 1973 decision by the Supreme court that basically made abortion legal on a federal level. Um, or according to more progressive women, women's rights groups, it protected a woman's reproductive rights, which is something Something you see a lot in these groups, it's the rhetoric. They change the rhetoric. It stops being about abortion, starts becoming about reproductive rights or, or abortion rights. And so the decision said that a woman's right to privacy extended to the unborn child she was carrying. And in view of the court, during the first trimester, an abortion was no more dangerous than carrying the fetus or child full term. So it's interesting that all of these concepts of a woman's right to privacy kind of was involved in this ruling. And so to understand it, you got to go back to the case itself. So in 1970 in Texas, there was a law 
that banned abortion um, of any kind unless the woman's life was in danger. And so there was a Texas woman. Her name was Norma McCorvey, um, and Jane Rowe was her alias. It's kind of like Jane Doe, but Jane Rowe. And she brought a lawsuit against Henry Wade, a Dallas County district attorney in a Texas federal court. So Roe or McCorvey was a single woman and pregnant and she wanted to terminate her pregnancy and she wanted it done safely by a doctor but said she couldn't afford to travel outside of Texas and she couldn't get a legal abortion in Texas because her life was not in danger. And so um, her lawsuit claimed that the Texas law violated her right to privacy and that's protected by the first, fourth, fifth, ninth, and 14th amendment. And so she sued on behalf of herself and other women. That was her words in the same situation as her. And so slowly that case made its way to the U S Supreme court. And uh, meanwhile, she had her baby, she placed it up for adoption, but this seemingly small case instance of a Texas woman suing her, uh, suing an attorney in a Texas federal court, um, changed everything about the landscape of the u.s um abortion became known as a legal right and um it's incredible to incredible it's it's heartbreaking overwhelming to think of the millions of children who were slaughtered because of that one decision by um, the u.s supreme court in the 70s whole generations missing Um, in fact if you go and read the book freakonomics which is a really interesting book. The analyst that wrote that book, um, they conclude that um, the reason the crime wave in the 70s was turned in the 80s, so the reason that crime diminished is because a whole generation was absent. Mm. Wow. So an entire generation that would have grown up in the 70s and 80s wasn't there because they were all murdered, which is overwhelming to, to consider. So mm, that's crazy. Yeah. So um, if Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, which it looks like it most likely will be, um, according to a leaked draft opinion that came out last week, um, it would basically allow states to determine the legality of abortions. So analysts predict that abortion would be banned in Alabama. American Samoa, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Guam, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, North Dakota, uh, the Northern Mariana Islands, which I didn't even know that was a U.S. territory, but surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. And then in other states, it would be restricted. So it would be made illegal after 15 weeks or only allowed in the case of protecting the life of the mother. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. it's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we should be praying as Christians and, uh, really praying that that stands so that, uh, this could stop in at least 23 states. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. The prospect of here in Tennessee, uh, abortion being overturned and then, you know, the state you're in Gabe in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, the progressive or liberal or progressive Christian, liberal Christian will say, 
well, you know, that's going to get overturned, but, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, the church is not ready to, to do this. The church is unwilling to step up and care for all these babies that will then be born. Well, first of all, That's so false. That's to, so that, false. to that, I say, um, number one, there is going to be way less incidences of unwanted pregnancies um, because uh, realizing that, wait, I can't just go into a Planned Parenthood clinic and terminate this baby's life. Maybe mm -hmm. I should be more careful about who and how often and in what to what extent I have unprotected sex. Um, and right. number two, um, I, I disagree with that. I think a lot of these uh, um, pregnancy care centers uh, are going to retool themselves and should be looking at retooling themselves to care for uh, mothers with with unexpected pregnancies, mm -hmm. um, to be um, passing legislation and lobbying for legislation that streamlines and takes the bureaucracy out of the adoption process in these Absolutely. states. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and, uh, sets up, um, you know, centers where, um, mothers can come and be interviewed by prospective parents who, who would want nothing more than to adopt a baby. Um, that, that can all be done and is being done right now. I, I know it for a fact that pregnancy 100%. care centers are looking at, at changing their mission and reorienting themselves towards, okay, now that abortion is illegal in our state. What do we do to care for these unwanted children? Absolutely. So that, that, that is a moot point. That is, you cannot say that. And you, and, and even if, let's say guys who are dissenting this, let's say you're right. Let's say the church is just going to fumble uh, all of this and we're not going to step up to the plate and care for unwanted babies. And there's just going to be babies left at, on every street corner. And, you know, there, you know, there's going to be all these like really bad parents and all this stuff. And they're going to be, um, potentially like malnourished or whatever. Let me ask you this question. Would that child rather be murdered in the womb of its mother or would it, would it rather have a go at life, even if its circumstances are pretty difficult? And right. I think by and large, they would say the latter. They right. would say, yes, I, I want, please don't dismember me in my mother's womb. Give me a go at it. Well, and it's really interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, and I can say this because my, my sister's not dating this guy anymore. Uh, <laughs> my sister was dating a guy who um, uh, we were hanging out with and, you know, he, he found out we were Christians and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I, I kind of fall into that worldview, but I'm not crazy about it. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, what, what kind of things, you know, are you kind of on the fence about? He's like, well, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Christians are crazy about this whole abortion thing and they just all want to go bomb abortion clinics. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> said, what do you mean by we all want to go bomb abortion clinics? He goes, well, I mean like the pro-lifers are just crazy. They're just militant. They're nuts. They, you know, don't, and I said, well, why do you think that? And he said, well, I, I, Christians don't care anything about like what happens after the baby's born. And yet they still call themselves pro-life. I said, mm -hmm. who told you that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he just started kind of fumbling over his words. He's like, well, uh, uh, I said, who, who, no, seriously, who, who told you that Christians don't care anything about? It? He goes, well, where are the Christian adoption agencies? I was like, brother, I could give you 10 <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, I said, I could tell you three pregnancy support centers that our church directly supports. I could tell you about a ministry that we work with 
run by ladies in the church that walks with single moms of unexpected pregnancies, I could tell you off the top of my head, at least five or six couples I know that struggle with infertility that mm-hmm. adopted a child that um, was from an unexpected pregnancy. I said, I don't know where you're getting that, mm-hmm. but man, that's not, that is not accurate in the least bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't know any like militant pro-lifers that are talking about going and bombing abortion clinics. I don't know where you're coming up with that, but that's not true at all. Yeah. And and almost every one of the pro-life Christians that I know and, and walk with are the most pro-adoption people I have ever met. And they're not just talking about it, they're doing it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a red herring argument as well. I mean, we have to, let's just admit that some of these militant pro-abortionists would rather see an, an unborn child die than it be raised in a Christian home. And that's yeah. just the, that's just the truth of it. I've had pro-abortionists come to me and say, after, after going back and forth and back and forth and, and them debating me and me just completely, com- completely over and over taking their legs out from under them, finally they, they, one of them caved in and said, so are you telling me that if a mother came up to you, expecting mother came up to you and said, I'm going to abort my baby today unless you'll take it, you would take that baby? And I was like, that's a no-brainer. Of course I would take that baby. Right, yeah, and course. I would take that baby and I would cherish it and I would love it and I would raise it as if it was my own baby. Yep, I would 100%. be willing to lay my life down for that child. And they were they were flabbergasted at that. I was like, well, that's just a no-brainer. Of right. course. But yeah, yeah, but a lot of this is just, um, it's held captive by very angry, very accusatory rhetoric. Mm-hmm. that that is not based in logic yeah it's just it's based in false assumptions and straw man arguments yeah that is it's very easy to take the legs out from under it and go hey let's get all this out of the way stop screaming and start using mm-hmm. your brain <laughs> let's talk about what this really is about it's not about what you're saying it's about it's not about misogyny it's not about people being pro-rape. It's not about people being pro-incest. It's not about people condoning back alley abortions with coat hangers. It's not about any of this. This is about, is abortion murder? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it murder? And if it's murder, then it never is justifiable, ever. Yeah. yeah. The Bible is very clear 100%. that murder is a terrible sin against God and humanity. 100%. So why are so many people, including most Christians, against abortion? Well, for that reason, Right. Deuteronomy 5.17, Isaiah 1.21, Hosea 4.2, Matthew 5.21, black and white, crystal clear. The Bible says that the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another is murder, and it is a sin against the holy God. Mm-hmm. And that is like the most basic, fundamental command or precept for a civilized and moral mm-hmm. society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The the expectation that I'm innocent, you are innocent, we won't take each other's lives. Yeah. And yep. people ask me sometimes, well, you know, don't we send troops overseas to fight and kill and all this stuff? Well, here here it's simple. Murder is the termination of an innocent human being's life. Right. That's murder. And that is sin. So yep. politics aside, war aside, let's let's not even get into that. Let's just agree on the fact that murder is a sin. What is murder? Murder is the taking of an innocent human life. So the question ultimately that we have to ask, we strip away all the red herrings, all the straw mans, all that stuff, is abortion murder? And to discover the answer to that, it really has two considerations. First, is a fetus in utero actually a human being? 
All right, that's that's the big question, and we'll talk about that scientifically. And then second, if the fetus is a child, um, a lot of people say, well, if abortion is legal, then it's not unlawful. And so if it's not unlawful, then it's not murder. <laughs> <laughs> but when we start asking that question, okay, so were the inventors of the Holocaust morally justifiable in exterminating Jews, handicapped homosexuals, and gypsies? Mm-hmm. Well, that was legal, wasn't it? Yeah. So if that's legal, <laughs> were they justified in the systematic genocide of entire people groups? Six million people, were they justified in that? And the answer is, of course not. Mm. Of course not. Because if it's an unjust, immoral law, there's a higher law at stake, and that's the law of God. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that that law is written on every person's heart. Yeah. So... Deep down, we understand that murder is wrong, and there's something that sets us apart from the rest of the created order. When a lion kills a gazelle, it's not called murder. It's called lunch, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. if another human being pulls out a forty-five and shoots another guy in the face over a parking space at the local grocery store, it's not like a lion and a gazelle in the wild fighting over something, right? (laughs) That's murder. And we know that's murder because we're different. We're made in the image and likeness of God. So even if the law says, yeah, that's fine to do, we understand that, no, there's a higher law. It's the law of God. It's written on our hearts that says that that's wrong, and we know that's wrong. So abortion is killing an unborn child based on a mother's unilateral judgment and choice, and it's the unprovoked killing of another defenseless human being. And in all cultures, in all places, in all times, that is unethical. It's immoral. That's wrong. And um, I think where people try to get around this is they say, well, okay, a fetus is a mass of impersonal tissue. A fetus is something less than a human. So ending the life of the fetus, that's like, man, that's like a plant. Mm -hmm. The plant's growing and you're just like, hey, I don't really need that plant. And so you uproot the plant and you throw it in your yard, right? That's all that is. Or like an unwanted appendage or tumor or something. Right. You just cut it out. It's a clump of cells. It's a massive impersonal tissue. But we start asking that question. Okay. Is an unborn fetus a human being? (laughs) And what is it that makes a human a person? Hmm. Now, we're kind of getting into semantics, but this matters a lot because you'll hear this a lot in pro-choice and pro-life arguments of, yeah, a fetus is just a clump of cells. But when we start actually looking at science, that doesn't really hold up. Um, Standtoreason.org, str.org has a fascinating system for really understanding this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an acronym, and the acronym is SLED, S-E, or S-L-E-D, SLED. And SLED is really um, the four scientific differences between an unborn fetus and a born human being. Mm-hmm. And so scientifically, if you, if you examine a, let's say, a you know, 12-week-old fetus in the mother's womb, and then my four-year-old daughter. What's the difference scientifically between those two? Hmm. 
But when you start asking the question and you start looking and really asking, okay, what's the difference? There's four big differences. The first is size. Mm-hmm. The unborn is smaller, right? <laughs> yeah. My four-year-old is, you know, 30-something pounds. She's three and a half feet tall. Uh, a 12-week-old fetus is not, right? It's like smaller than your hand, right? But um, it's kind of hard to reason that a difference in size disqualifies somebody from being a person. So my four-year-old is smaller than me. I'm six foot three. So does that justify me killing her because she's not as big as me? (laughs) She's somehow less human than me, (laughs) right? So a person's humanity or personhood cannot be determined by their size. Mm -hmm. My four-year-old is equally a person, even though she differs in the characteristic between me and her mom in size. So if I can't kill a four-year-old because she's smaller than me, then I can't kill a 12-week-old unborn fetus because that fetus is smaller than my four-year-old. Yeah, but the fetus isn't fully developed yet. So, therefore, it makes it less human or unhuman. Is my four-year-old fully developed? No. Yeah, I guess I guess you have a point there. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, my four-year-old is not fully developed either. Yeah. I mean, my two-year-old is less developed than my four-year-old. Yeah, and believe so, me when I tell you my 13-year-old is not fully developed. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole development argument doesn't really hold out water either because a um, a newborn baby, a, a newborn, is mm-hmm. not even developed enough to be able to do basic human functions. They can't do anything for themselves, yeah. right? And so saying that, okay they'll develop into their humanity. Mm-hmm. At what point do they become human? Right. And who decides yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Is my four year old less human than an eight year old? Is an eight year old less human than a 13 year old? Is a 13 year old less human than a 20 year old? I mean, you could play that game all day long till the cows come home. And that still doesn't, yeah. the lines still get a little bit blurry. 100%. It still doesn't disqualify someone's personhood and humanity because of their size. Yeah. Yeah. But the unborn, are in the womb though they haven't exited the birth canal Mm. so i think that's what makes them human is exiting (laughs) the birth canal leaving the womb are you still are you jumping ahead yeah okay that's what you're trying to do okay i I thought you were i thought you were disagreeing with me i was like jabe i thought you were (laughs) pro-life okay so the s is size the l is level of development and that's what gabe was talking about right that a four-year-old can't bear children she's not developed like an adult, but she's still a human being, right? Mm-hmm. So that's level of development. That's the difference between a 12-week unborn fetus and a four-year-old is the level of development, but that's still, they're still person. And then the E in SLED stands for environment. So an unborn is located in a different environment than a born human, right? Mm-hmm. So that thing, an unborn fetus, we say that's just a clump of cells. Well, really the difference between that clump of cells and a newborn is just their environment Mm -hmm. one of them is in the womb and one of them is not but the location of that life form doesn't affect their value (laughs) Mm -hmm. how does changing an environment alter your status as a person Mm. like where you are has yeah yeah. yeah, sometimes to this, I, I tell people too, um, when they bring up the environment argument, well, they're, they're still, they're unborn, so they're not human yet. Passing through a seven-inch birth canal 
and exiting makes you human. I say, okay, well, does that mean if you strip me down naked and you put me in a vat of water that is exactly the same viscosity and uh, salt content content of uh, amniotic fluid, and you know, you just put me in there and I'm completely immersed in that. My eyes are closed. Um, it's kind of like a like a like this, the matrix kind of like those tanks, they, those deprivation tanks, you know, and uh, you yeah. put me in there and you completely and somehow um, mimic and replicate the womb to the T. Do I lose my humanity? Mm. And you see them like ponder for a second and they'll be like, well, abortion is just blah, blah, blah. And just like, you know, they start freaking out. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. so you just, you just admitted that environment does not make a person a person or less right. a person. That's just, yeah. Yeah. So that's the E of sled. So the S is size. The L is level development. The E is environment. And then the D in sled is the degree of dependency. So mm. an unborn fetus is dependent upon the mother's body for nutrition and proper environment. And if that unborn is taken away from the mother, the mother's womb, they'll die, right? So people say, well, that's not really a human if, you know, they're so dependent on the mom. And then you'll start hearing this argument. It's my body, my choice. Mm -hmm. Scientifically, no, it's not your body. There's another body that's there, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, depending on another person does not disqualify you from being a person. Right. So a newborn is exceptionally dependent upon the mother. And one could say if that newborn was taken from the mother, they would also die. Mm. A toddler in the same way is dependent on the mother. So is a mother ever justifiable to kill her newborn baby because that baby depends on her body? Right? To say, well, my newborn son, if they didn't have my body, um, that newborn would not be alive. And this is my body, my choice. That's, that's not even logical. Right. Um, if a toddler fell into a swimming pool, could someone be justified in declaring that toddler not valuable because they depended on a parent to survive, to get out of the swimming pool? And that's that's absurd. Right. Yeah. So the unborn is not disqualified from personhood simply because they have a degree of dependency upon a mother um, that's higher than other persons yeah that's a slippery slope because that would apply to every you know 95 year old person sitting in a nursing home that is dependent Absolutely. on someone else to care for them in every way of you know it's it's you just don't want to go down that slippery slope because bad things happen mm -hmm. you know you, you can't go wrong erring on the side of protecting innocent human life you just can't go wrong and that's where yeah. i'm at i'm just like man just let's just protect innocent human life at all Absolutely. costs. Absolutely. So if none of these characteristics, the size, the level development, the environment, or the dependency, remove someone's personhood, then logically speaking, an unborn fetus is a human being. And so the question is, are all human beings valuable and worthy of protection against unprovoked killing on the basis of personal re reasons, convenience, and unilateral choice? Hmm. If the answer is... Yes, all human beings are valuable and worthy of protection against unprovoked killing. 
then abortion is one of the biggest human rights issues of the past 100 years. Yeah. Because logically speaking, it is legally protected murder disguised as a woman's health issue. Oh, that is, yeah, that is depressing. Yeah. And and this is, you know, to anybody that was on the fence on, about this issue before you started listening, the people tell me, man, you nobody wants to hear your political issues mm-hmm. or your political. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Where does politics come into this? Like, I don't believe that abortion is wrong because of politics. I believe abortion is wrong because of science and logic. Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, if we're, it, we didn't have to be people of faith to recognize scientifically that that is a human life. Yeah. And ending a human life that is completely innocent on the basis of convenience is always wrong, always, in any society, anywhere. Never morally justifiable. Hmm. So if we answer to that question, not every human being is valuable and worthy of protection against unprovoked killing, if the answer to that question is no, not every human being is, then the question becomes, okay, which human beings are valuable and worthy of protection against unprovoked killing, right? Yeah. Do we only protect those who are wanted? Do we only protect those who are healthy? Do we only protect those who are mentally unimpaired? Do we only protect those who belong to a certain class or certain race? Hmm. And then who gets to make up those rules? Who gets to decide that? You know, that's the ones with the biggest guns, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's terrifying. And, you know, let's just be honest, like a lot of this uh, stuff and Planned Parenthood is kind of the Frankensteinian creation of and, and the residual effects of the eugenics movement of the 1920s and 30s that made its way to the United States of America, which it was built on uh, some of the theories that, that Charles Darwin put forth, which we've talked about in, in, the, in the past, um, that some of the shockwaves of Darwin's theory of biological evolution um, created some of the worst sins against humanity that we've ever seen in human history. Absolutely. So um, there's a tremendous amount of rhetoric out there that sanitizes abortion and uh, basically presents it as an innocuous minor outpatient procedure. Kind of like you're getting your wisdom teeth removed. Mm. But the reality is that abortion procedures literally dismember a baby's body with Mm. medical equipment. Yeah. or even crush that baby's skull. It's not an innocuous minor outpatient procedure. It's barbaric, it's violent, it's inhumane. Um, when you start really, I don't know, this is probably disturbing for some people to kind of consider, but when you start really looking at the, at the procedures themselves, mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody can read how that actually takes place and come away with the conclusion that this is totally fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go through them real quick. And I know this is probably disturbing for some folks. And if you want to skip this part, you can, but um, I just feel like it's probably right for us to just kind of consider this. Um, the most common uh, abortion procedure is called a manual vacuum aspiration. 
and this is done early in the pregnancy, and essentially a long, thin tube is inserted into the uterus, and a syringe suctions the embryo out. So literally that dismembers the fetus completely. But that is only for early pregnancies. Um, the most common abortion procedure is called a suction a curatage. I think I'm saying that right. And this is uh, for a baby six to 14 weeks after the last menstrual period. And um, typically general anesthesia is needed and uh, the cervix of the mother is stretched open. The doctor inserts a hard plastic tube into the uterus and then connects this tube to a suction machine. And the suction pulls the fetus's body completely apart. And then the doctor uses a loop-shaped knife called a curette to scrape the fetus and fetal parts out of the uterus. So literally like a, a vacuum rips the baby apart. And then the doctor goes in with a knife and scrapes out the the baby's parts. So there's actually um, pictures you can find of little fingers, little toes, little body parts that get scraped out of a mother's womb. Horrible, horrible, mm. horrible, horrible. And then there's um, dilation and evacuation where the fetus is too large to be broken up by suction. And so what happens before the fetus is suctioned out, or I'm not going to say fetus, the baby is suctioned out, is the cervix is stretched open. The doctor literally takes forceps and crushes the baby's skull and then pulls out the baby's body parts with forceps. Hmm. And that, I mean, that's, that's happening in Planned Parenthood clinics all across the nation, like every yeah. day. Like today, that will happen. Yeah. Probably hundreds of times. And then the last, and this is um, this is illegal in most states, but there's something called partial birth abortion. And it's a procedure that takes three days. And um, on the third day of the procedure, the abortion doctor uses an ultrasound to locate the legs of the fetus and they take that leg with the forceps and basically deliver the fetus breech birth. So most of the baby's body is out of the mother, except for the head. And then they stick scissors into the base of the skull and suction the contents of the baby's skull out and the skull collapses and the baby's delivered and it's a stillborn baby. And and that's a like I don't I don't see how anybody could look at that and say okay that's that's not a human right you're looking mm -hmm. at literally a fully developed human that's born breached with only the head of that human in the mother and you're saying it's morally justifiable to kill this baby mm. like how I don't understand that like there has to be something else going on to cloud and distorts someone's mind to think that that's somehow morally justifiable. Like I just get overwhelmed thinking about that. Yeah. There's, there's an interesting case to be made for, um, you know, some of these very outspoken and public 
pro-life advocates. Um, like one I can think of is uh, uh, Jeff Durbin, Pastor Jeff Durbin of End Abortion Now. Yeah. He um, he encounters a lot, a lot. Like it's it's a very common thing to encounter uh, counter protesters there who are self-proclaimed Satanists. Yeah. Um, and he he videotapes them and, and um, debates them, but they are they are in full agreement. Yeah, this is murder, and this is a sacrifice that's needed by by our faith. Um, that's that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that is that shows you that this is not a logical thing. This is not a political thing. This is not right. a women's rights things. This is this is a vying for innocent human life in the spiritual realm. Is yeah. really at the heart of this. Right. Um, and Christians who are listening to this, who are on the fence about this issue, wake up. This is a yep. spiritual battle going on in the United States of America right now. Absolutely. Um, even in cases, Stacey and I were talking before came, coming down here to record, even in cases of the woman's life being in danger, none of these procedures would be performed on a on a unborn baby. If a woman, if they are certain that a woman will die if that baby comes to term and is born, they will, they will they will deliver that baby in a dignified way and they will not go in and dismember that baby or suck its brains out or any of these awful things where the baby can feel pain that, that even that won't happen. They will, they will force labor and they will deliver it in a, in a, a way that minimizes pain to the infant and to the mother. And they will let that baby have a chance at life. Yeah. Um, so that is that that is that's not a factor in this whole argument of whether or not a woman's life is at stake. Abortion right. is cruel, it's inhumane, and it's murder, and it shouldn't be done even to protect the life of a mother because there are other humane ways that are done, which I still take issue with. But right. that's that's not a good argument. I'm sorry. Well, the reason I think so many people are pro-abortion, I mean most. Most people that I've spoken with that are, you know, what they say, pro-choice, they're not the extreme, right? They're not, they're not Satanist out there saying, I mean, right, there's definitely right. that going on, right? Oh, um, yeah. But most of them, I would say, are caught up in the frenzy of rhetoric that says this is about women's rights. Yeah. Right? So the issue of abortion has gotten reframed so much so that honest, productive, and logical dialogue about the issue itself almost becomes impossible. And so it stops becoming about the issue of is terminating an unborn fetus murder, and it starts becoming about things like women's rights or even reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in logic, that's called a red herring, Mm -hmm. and a red herring is a logical fallacy that uses confusion or distraction to shift attention away from the topic itself and toward a false conclusion. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, you have a you have fifty fifty chance that 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 baby, unborn baby, is a woman. So yeah, right. that's so <laughs> right. illogical because like it, you're, it is, yeah, yeah. So we're all about women's rights, so let's go women. I, I don't understand that, right? Um, so instead of the debate centered around the idea and the ethical question, is it morally acceptable to end the life of an unborn child? Now the debate is reframed using questions like, "So you're not in favor of women having their rights?" Or, you know, you expect a woman to carry a child who's conceived by rape or, or to have to carry that child. What about the man? You know, he doesn't have any responsibility. So you must be misogynistic because the guys, you know, are demanding 
you know, that women carry their babies, but they're nowhere around to help. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you might hear some of these arguments in favor of abortion. Um, you know, having the choice to have an abortion empowers women by giving them control over their own bodies, (laughs) which again, scientifically, that's not their body. Mm -hmm. Yes. That fetus is dependent upon the mother, but so is a newborn. That's not that woman's body. Right. Um, or, you know, hey, personhood begins after a fetus becomes viable, after they're able to survive outside the womb or after it's born. It doesn't begin at conception. Mm-hmm. Well, again, th- that doesn't hold any water either. When we look at the whole level of development and dependency arguments, um, a newborn is not viable <laughs> unless the mother's there to take care of it, right? So we would never look at a newborn and say that's not a person. It is a person. Um, here's one that I've heard. Fetuses are incapable of feeling pain when most abortions are performed. And scientifically speaking, that is patently false. Mm-hmm. 100% false. If you, you study the development of a fetus, fetuses are able to do things like dream, like have the hiccups, like suck their thumbs, um, get scared because of loud noises. All of their nervous systems are so developed. So absolutely, they're able mm-hmm. to feel pain. Yeah. Yeah. There's the world record, uh, is, goes to an Alabama man, Curtis means he was born just 132 days of gestation. He was born 19 weeks early Wow! and survived. He's now, um, you know, living a healthy life, but yeah, that's phenomenal. That is, um, you might hear someone say, if abortions made illegal, women will go into back alleys and get coat hanger abortions and that'll mm-hmm. cause injury and death to women. Yeah. What would you say to that? Oh yeah. I've heard that argument. And to that, I would say, well, yeah. Um, you know, prisoners make shanks and they stab themselves with shanks in prison when they get into fights. So this, you know, that's, that's dangerous for them to do that. So then we, should we just issue every prisoner like a buoy knife? Right. <laughs> it doesn't, that's right. just, that's just completely illogical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically because people will do illegal activities in unsafe manners, we should just, you know, make it safe. Right. Bank mm-hmm. robbing is also hazardous, <laughs> mm-hmm. but no one thinks that's a good idea and a good reason to make it legal. Right. Right. Um, abortion gives pregnant women the option to choose not to bring fetuses into the world with profound abnormalities. Uh, there was a Scandinavian country, I don't remember which one, that bragged about how they've essentially eliminated Down syndrome from um entire generation. Mm. And they were bragging about that. Wow. So when you start playing that game of, hey, someone has an abnormality, someone has a, uh, a deformity, or someone has a, a mental impairment, mm-hmm. then the question becomes... Um, how far are you going to take that logic, right? Mm-hmm. So a child on the autism spectrum, if there ever becomes a way for us to notice that in utero, does then it become morally justifiable to kill that child before that child is born? Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you go down the road of like, well, if you don't agree with our political ideology, then it's probably because you're mentally ill and then, you know, fill in the blank for the rest of it. Um, I mean, in, in a true Marxist society, uh, Christians would be considered mentally ill. Mm-hmm. 
And so, well, um, our buddy Alexei, when we talked to him mm-hmm. about growing up in the Soviet Union, he was sent to a mental institution because he believed in God, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 So you just write a blank check there by doing that. Yep. Uh, reproductive choice protects women from financial disadvantage. You know, like mm. this is a this is unfairly outlawing abortion is unfairly targeting women in financially disadvantaged situations. I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you look at every, uh, well, no, I shouldn't say every, but if you look at a large majority of the people, especially civil rights activists uh, in the, you know, fifties and sixties, um, most of them were born in deep, deep poverty. Yeah. Um, yet they they rose out of it. They changed the course of human history despite it mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean it's that is n- to, to say that financial disadvantage has any bearing on a person's future is uh, you know really uh presumptuous and and you know just judgmental it's really well up. and it it's a marxist it's a social marxist viewpoint to say that you can't mm-hmm. rise above your class right mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's just patently untrue um and to say that because someone's going to be born poor we should just not give them the right to be born. Yeah. Yeah. They don't deserve to live. So let's exterminate a whole class of people in the basis of helping them. Right. Let's help make your class smaller because we don't believe that your class is ever going to rise above. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very twisted mindset. It's very elitist. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I don't think it's any accident that um, a lot of Planned Parenthood clinics are placed in the middle of inner cities. Mm hmm. Um, and then one argument you hear, a baby shouldn't be unwanted. Uh, abortion reduces welfare costs to taxpayers. It lowers crime rates. Again, the book Freakonomics I mentioned earlier is a whole chapter about the crime wave in the 80s and 90s, you know, the crime rate going down because of abortion being legalized. And they were talking about how that was kind of a good thing. Hmm. Um, but again, being wanted should not be the determiner of someone's personhood. Mm-hmm. Because the baby was unexpected, unplanned, or unwanted, therefore we're not going to give them the opportunity to live. Hmm. Again, when you when you kind of peel back all the red herrings, you get all the way down to the, the crux of the issue. The issue is the humanity of the unborn. And in no legal court anywhere is the murder of another human being justifiable. So... You even have laws on the books that if there's a pregnant woman and a burglary goes bad and the burglar or the robber, you know, shoots this pregnant woman and the pregnant woman dies, he's guilty of two homicides, not just one. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so explain, explain that to me, right? Mm-hmm. And of course it's, well, that baby was wanted. Okay, so the baby was wanted, therefore it was human? <laughs> That doesn't that doesn't hold any water logically, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think when you you look at it just for what it is, murder is wrong. An unborn fetus is a human, so to terminate the unborn fetus is murder, and murder should be illegal in any moral society. So, abortion should not be legal. Abortion should be overturned. Abortion should be ended. Abortion should be stopped. It is the biggest human rights issue of the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, kind of ending this episode. Um, years ago, I uh, was counseling a, a lady 
who came in when I was pastoring at our Murfreesboro campus. And um, she, I think, was staying in kind of a halfway house ministry that we worked with that helped women coming out of incarceration. She'd had a past of drug use. She told me that she um, had been a prostitute years ago. And and she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, hey, I'm, I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. I'm new to this whole faith thing. I've done some things in my life that I'm not proud of. But I believe that, um, you know, God forgives me and I'm forgiving myself. She goes, there's something I just can't get over. And I don't understand why I can't forgive myself or I don't believe that God's able to forgive me of. Well, she would talk about, you know, people she hurt through her drug problems or the fact that she had engaged in prostitution or illegal activity. And she said, no, she said, I had an abortion when I was 19. She goes, and I don't understand why, but that's the one thing that I think about all the time. And out of all the things I've done, all the, all the horrible things I've done, the people I've hurt, that's the one thing I just don't understand how, how I'm still holding on to it. And she talked about the guilt she felt the shame she felt, the remorse, the regret. Um, and we talked and we prayed and, you know, I directed her towards the support group with the pregnancy support center that we work with that works with women that have had abortions. But there's an unnamed victim in this whole argument, and that is the women who buy into the lie of the rhetoric that abortion is a innocuous procedure that empowers you as a woman mm -hmm. the ones that end up paying for that not only are the children whose lives are ended but the women who buy into that lie because their lives are forever ruined yeah not not forever and unalterably ruined god can redeem any situation but most of them report feeling guilt anger shame remorse regret loss of self-esteem, self-confidence, isolation, loneliness, nightmares, sleep problems, relationship problems, thoughts of suicide. And that's the, that's the thing we don't talk about with us. That's heartbreaking. And so, um, I, I don't know who was listening. We've got a lot of listeners, but like, if that's you, if you have that in your past, um, God can forgive you and God will forgive you of any sin. doesn't matter what you've done. Um, if, if you'll approach God with a humble and repentant heart, God doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to heal and restore you mm -hmm. and he loves you. And uh, he's ready to redeem you and remove that from you as far as the East is from the West. <sighs> and so, yeah, if, if this is in your past, man, I don't want to shame you. I, I want to see you get healed. And the way you can get healed is to call out on the name of Jesus, the one that can forgive you and redeem you of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a really good resource. If you've had an abortion and you need to speak with somebody, a lot of times, um, every time I talk about abortion as a pastor, um, there's always one or two women that I do not expect that will approach me afterwards in private and say, this is in my past and nobody knows it. Um, and so shame and guilt, I think, keep women from reaching out and getting help if this is in your past. But if you need to speak with somebody, uh, there's a really good um, support line 
I'll give you the number 1-800-712-4357. Again, that's 1-800-712-4357. Um, pick up the phone, call that number, and um, you can speak to somebody that can help you walk through that and get healing in that. Um, hmm. Cause I, I really feel like this is a thing that we don't talk enough about the women who are victims, I think to this rhetoric that says it is justifiable to end the baby's life. They're the ones that end up suffering too for yeah. years and years and years and years, unless they find healing and forgiveness and redemption and, and the person of Jesus. You know, Psalm, Psalm 116 verse five says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And there's an interesting connection here that, yeah, you know, he is, he's compassionate and forgiving, but the, the connection here is that the, the Hebrew word for compassion is racham. And the Hebrew word for a womb, like a mother's womb is rechem. They're connected linguistically to each other. So hmm. when God says that I am compassionate, he's choosing the word that's connected to the idea of a, of a mother's womb to convey what his compassion is like. Wow. So on one side, it's like by us violating a mother's womb in the, the most compassionate place of a mother's body and removing a child and murdering a child while they're in that space, um, is a profanity of the very picture of God's compassion. But also on the other side of that, God is saying, hey, in a sense, I have a womb. That mm. womb is there for you. It's compassion. It's my compassion. It will care for you. It will fully enclose you and protect you with wow. my loving kindness and my mercy and my forgiveness. And so that's my prayer for you that you realize that if you're listening and you are having to walk through those feelings of guilt and shame, Amen. Um, yeah, God is forgiving and Amen. he is, um, he knows the end from the beginning, but Hey, Josh, um, at our congregation, we're doing a fast, um, from Tuesday sundown, which Tuesday, as we're recording this, that's going to fall on the 17th of May. Hmm. Um, so starting this at sundown on the 17th of May to sundown on the 18th of May, our congregation is conducting a fast, and we're going to fast and pray and just pray for courage for our Supreme Court justices, pray for peace for our nation, that if there is civil unrest, that, um, you know, it's peaceful. Pray that our nation repents of these unjust laws. So if you want to join us, if you're listening and you want to join us just, you know, in time of fasting and prayer, um, if you can fast food, great. If you can fast media, great. You know, all of the above, that's awesome. Uh, we just want to invite you guys to join with us on that May 17th at sundown to May 18th at sundown. That's as awesome. We fast and pray for our nation. Absolutely. Yeah, man, that's great. Yeah, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, don't just agree with this intellectually. Um, hit your knees. Pray. Yeah. Pray. Well, and then also in that time of prayer, pray how you can be, find yourself on the right side of history is what one of the things I'm telling people. Because 100 years from now, I really do believe we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, we committed a great injustice as a nation. Who, who were some of the people who were championing justice in that situation? Yeah. And we're going to be reading books about basically the Corey Ten Booms of this era 
mm-hmm. saying, wow, they are heroes. They're the Will, William Wilberforces of this era. And find yourself aligning with those people, even though it may cost you, it may cost you friends, it may cost you money, it may cost you a spare room in your house. Pray yeah. how you can find yourself on the right side of history in this very historic time in our nation. And like I said, be looking at how um, you can be a father to the fatherless. You can open up your home to people who are unwanted. That is, that is that compassion. That's exemplifying one of the attributes of our creators being compassionate to those. And like I said, you can never go wrong erring on the side of innocent, protecting innocent human life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Gabe, you mind if I say a prayer for us as we close up this episode and just yeah, pray for this do. issue? So, um, Father God, we come to you um, understanding just the brevity of, of the hour of human history that we're living in. God, we come to you understanding the significance of this uh, decision. Um, and so, Lord, we just pray, myself and Gabe and anybody listening, God, that's praying along right now, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that there would be an end to this injustice in Jesus' name. We pray, God, that um, this decision would somehow be upheld, that Roe v. Wade would be overturned, and that abortion would be uh, made illegal and outlawed and done away with in um, in these states, God. But but not just that, Lord. We pray um, that there would be continued um, overturning of these unjust laws that somehow condone and justify the killing of innocent life, Lord. God, would you... Uh, influence and work on and lead the hearts of the men and women who are in positions of power that have the uh, responsibility to overturn these unjust laws. And God, would you um, just continue to give them the courage to do the right thing, Lord? Would you keep your hand on our nation, God? Would you uh, protect uh, just us from any civil unrest and help the church to be bold and to be courageous and to stand? Um, But at the same time, Lord, give us hearts of love where we um, are looking not to just prove a point, God, we're looking to make a difference. So we pray our hearts would be open to love women who are in situations um, of unexpected pregnancies. Um, let let our, our mouths be open to speak the truth of your word and not be timid about it. And Lord, let our, our, our hands be open. Let us be generous to support uh, pregnancy support centers or, you know, adoption agencies or, or whatever the case may be, Lord, help us to be people of action, not just people of talk. And um, Lord, we ask for your grace in that, God. So let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that abortion would end in our lifetime. We love you, praise you, and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah. And if you have any questions on any of this stuff or um, maybe you just want to chat with somebody in person about it, oh man, reach out to us. We would love that. So thanks for listening. Send us an email or Facebook message if you have any questions. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review. Or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.